The views expressed on this podcast are not the opinions of our employers, staff, friends, or the bots we program to write this show. Especially the robots. We want nothing to do with this. Enjoy the show. All right, time is 1634 hours, and we have a recording to do. Listeners are a bit fuzzy. Remote data scientist host is plugged in. This will be podcast number 0009. Tim, what are you doing? Podcast number 0009 distributed via RSS feed to multiple streaming platforms recorded on a wave file on solid state disk drive. My fellow podcast host is Matthew Wander, data scientist. Good morning. You literally said it was four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, are you doing the minority report thing? Kinda. How'd I do? Not bad. Well, in any case, uh, my name is Tim. I'm a data engineer and a technology enthusiast. And I'm Matthew, and I'm a data scientist and a Luddite. And on today's show, we are chatting about the 2002 modern sci-fi classic Minority Report and its parallels around using data in modern surveillance, and of course, the problems with perfect information in AI and machine learning. All of this and more on today's episode of Kill All Humans. Welcome to Kill All Humans, data in pop culture. On this show, two data nerds. Um, I prefer the term professional data nerd. Thank you very much. Fine. Two professional data nerds seek out data in pop culture wherever we can find it. TV, movies, games, etc. And see what parallels we can draw to what's happening out there in the real world. At the end, we rate what we watch for realism using our patent pending, not at all arbitrary, Turing score system. Awesome. Yes. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about Minority Report. And if you haven't seen it, please hit pause and go watch it, or I'm about to spoil it for you. Now, based on the famed science fiction writer Philip K. Dick's Minority Report short story, uh, Minority Report is an action detective thriller set in Washington, D.C. in the future year of 2054, where police utilize a psychic technology to arrest and convict murderers before they convict their crimes. Tom Cruise plays the head of this pre-crime unit and he himself is accused of a future murder of a man he hasn't even met. So there are so many themes we can discuss on this episode that relate back to data, and it's really hard just to pick a few, but the ones that we really wanted to discuss is the concept of perfect data. But first, we're going to talk about modern surveillance, which is all over this movie. Okay, so just a little bit of background here. So it's all over this this concept of the surveillance state, and of course, being a movie in 2002, there's a whole whack of post 9-11 paranoia going on in u.s cinema uh so a lot of things with the patriot act oh we're all being monitored all being watched so a lot of the paranoia behind uh this idea of privacy and that sort of stuff and we see in the movie there's a whole lot of things the leveraging of both government technology but also private uh corporations uh technology in order to track the movements of citizens for use of surveillance now in the movie this is done through something called retinal scans right so they just you would see these cameras everywhere you even see the scene where spider robots uh come and scan your eyeballs but in today's day and age it's so much simpler we use something called facial recognition technology. Now, of course, this has been problematic if you look in the news because a lot of companies, Microsoft, Amazon, have gotten in trouble for selling these products to the police and a lot of other uh, institutions. And a lot of it's gone horribly wrong, especially when racial bias and it's being used by uh, law enforcement for various things. So that's the first thing to kind of... I really liked the scene with the spider robot. Sorry to interrupt, but like... (laughs) 
No, I, I think you're missing one of the best moments of the movie. I can totally see the spider robots coming in, swarming over some building, neighborhood, the middle of Times Square, scanning everybody's faces or retinas or whatever, and like just everybody just getting scanned for identity and getting <laughs> identity checks that way. I could see it at airports. I could see it there. I'm honestly it's more convenient though, to be honest. Like, you know even though there's a real phobia against that, I, I'm actually surprised we don't use more facial recognition in this day and age. Like, and I, and I think that it's going to be, I think it's happening much more often in a way that like we are probably not aware of. So I think absolutely. And that's kind of where I was going with a lot of this, that uh, we use a lot of these technologies now in the movie, of course, the spider robots, the retinal scans, but do we really need to use facial recognition to the extent that we do? So the scene that jumped out at me is when our protagonist is running through and he's going into the gap, he's walking into the gap to get a change of clothes. And there's this AI, uh, AI hologram pops up. Hello, Mr. I forget the character's name of the eyeballs. Tom Cruise stole. Um, how did those pants work out for you? And I'm thinking, how is this really any different than just browsing something on Amazon and getting ads for it later? I mean, really, we already kind of do this. We just don't do it with facial recognition technology. We do it with our digital fingerprints, our browsing activity, our so many other data points. We don't even necessarily need the retinal scans, but we already kind of do this, this today. It's still the thing that every company wants. I mean, let's let's not let's not downplay this moment because like this is coming and it's coming for every company and they're spending millions of millions of dollars to do this. Everybody company has a personalization project. Every company wants the latest, greatest, sexiest personalization ML tool that's out there. This this is real and it's going to be at a store near you sooner than you realize. And you're right. It's at its heart. It's that Amazon recommender engine or it's the fact that you log in somewhere on some website and then Google has some ad for you tailored specifically to that but they're spending millions of dollars out there companies are spending real money to do this better faster and really actually try to predict what you're going to do and and make it happen and in fact i think there's actually much more interest in predicting which pair of jeans you're going to buy <laughs> than predicting who you're going to murder which is which, wrong in its own way <laughs> <laughs> well you know what's interesting too you bring up a very interesting point and that's kind of where i was going with some of this too is that um this use of what was designed for things like that that's probably where the surveillance state uh, that's portrayed in minority report probably came from originally was the desire for companies like the gap to sell you jeans and then yep. all of a sudden as what usually happens uh, government entities sort of hop on and go, hey, you know, this would be useful for other stuff like uh, uh, stuff that seems relatively innocent. OK, we're going to go identify terrorists in the Middle East. We're going to use uh, we're going to use facial recognition technology to identify the victims of child trafficking. So Apple has this case right now where they're trying to do that with I with the um, iPhones. They're going to use this. Uh, so they're talking about what sounds like a net positive to society when it comes to using this. But the problem is, and we see it turned into basically a nightmare in Minority Report, when this concept of privacy goes away, uh, when things are turned into used by the state security apparatus. Now, I don't want to sound like conspiracy theorists. I am supposed to be the optimist in this episode. But that being said... Well, um, there, there are two things to keep in mind here. One, the NSA data feeds are real. And they get a massive amount of data plunged into massive computer hardware every day for the express purpose. And really, 
I don't want to say sole purpose, but largely the sole purpose of stopping terrorist activity in the United States. As far as we know, that's their really only use for it is to stop these crimes of mass destruction and keep America safe. So let's cross our fingers and hope that's the case. Or spy on their girlfriends. But the second problem with Minority Report isn't just the data and the lack of privacy, but now you have this merger of two worlds. We have always believed in this country legally that data for the use of national security should be separate from data in the use of the application of justice. And in this mm-hmm. in this movie, it's now that that wall is gone. It's not just blurred; it's gone. Well, and that's what's interesting too about, and that's why I bring up the time frame this this movie took place in or was created, where you did. And I remember I, I was I was younger during. I think I mm-hmm. think I was eighteen, nineteen, that sort of thing. So I do remember the yeah. news reports, and there was that blurring at the line post nine eleven, where we had this idea that uh, you know the terrorists are coming from the walls, and you know anthrax is everywhere, and you know that everyone's screaming to be safe. And when people are screaming to be safe, this is when we start seeing. Um, that real merger of the idea that what is supposed to be separate for foreign intelligence or foreign capabilities or trying to get, you know, terrorists or stop those sort of plots starts being used for domestic surveillance. And again, the lines start to get very muddy. And you know what? Right. And What's, it did with the Patriot Act. So exactly. the Patriot Act deliberately merged those two worlds to a very large extent and created the Department of Homeland Security and the policies of infinite detention at least in potential. Now, obviously, that's not supposed to be used against U.S. citizens, but but there are people who have been... It, we, we have a principle now that it, infinite, infinite detention is possible. And with data error and the inaccuracies of data, this presents a very concerning paradigm. And what I found, and the other thing I think about, like, what if you had, like, a 9-11-style attack today? Let's say 9-11 didn't happen, but it happened 20 years ago. Uh, sorry, 20 years in the future, 30 years in the future. So, so let's say it happened now, 20 years. So it's been 20, over 20 years since the events of September 11th. And if you had a Patriot Act now, with our current data capabilities, I think in what's a little scary is that the World of Minority Report would look an awful lot like the world we would have today, simply just how our capabilities when it comes to data, machine learning, facial recognition, all these things have shifted. Because the big shift, it used to be you needed something like the NSA to do it. Now, everything that the NSA could do in uh, in the year 2001 can probably be done in a small lab with a bunch of laptops now with the, with the amount of processing power. It's really just the... So I, I actually disagree with you. I, I think this movie is the wrong herald. And, and specifically, I'm going to point to a show called Person of Interest, which I think does a much better job of outlining the way in which data can and will be used. And there's some really fundamental differences here. I don't think the U.S. government has an interest in solving every single murder. I don't think that they want to go that way. I think that what they want is a tool that's going to be much more of a blanket protector against what they define as terrorists and and activities of mass um, casualties. I think that there's a prioritization here. And I don't think this is the way, I I don't think this is the kind of system they're going to build. I think they're going to build something different and scary, but it's not going to be this system. So I I think I look at it from this perspective, too. Like we already have this system already implemented, just not in the West. Mm -hmm. Look at China. This is oh, yeah. very similar um, 
to what what the Chinese have built uh, in their system. And I don't think, at least I hope, uh, Western democracies don't go this route. But anyway, we are coming up to our break here. Uh, We're going to continue the discussion. After our break, we're going to be talking about the Turing score uh, for this movie. But first, we're going to talk about the fallacies behind perfect data. Did I get that right, uh, Matthew? Yep, that's that's exactly right. I think that's one of the key issues that's raised in this movie uh, as we watch through the very mild manner and competence to which the cops (laughs) go around to Interpreting video, um, you know, you have this great data model, and then you put humans on the absolute on the end, and uh, yeah, doesn't so. quite work so good. But yes, well, we'll after save, the break, we'll we're save that talk for about the, perfect yeah. information and uh, due process. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to Kill All Humans, Data and Pop Culture. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review or a comment. Bonus points if you program a bot to write the review for you. Matthew, you can't tell them that. You'll get us delisted again. Why not? We only want them to have the bot to write one review. Yeah, a thousand times. Shh. All right, and welcome back to Kill All Humans Part 2. So we're trying a little something new. We're giving you a little break. Go grab a coffee. You know, it's going to be fun. Okay, so we're going to get to the Turing score in a minute. But first, we want to introduce our next topic, which is going to be what, Matthew? So the problem in the movie that gets around to the central theme of the movie is about perfect information, that these predictions for the murders are perfect. And this opens up a kind of Heisenberg uncertainty black hole when you start thinking about the future, that basically the closer and closer you get to the truth, the more likely you're just to go totally off the rails. And there's two ways in which this idea of perfect information is misused in this storyline. The first is nothing can be absolute. So it's like, you know, there's constantly things happening on a day-to-day basis. The wind is turning left, you go right. You know, the odds that I'm going to kill somebody at exactly a certain moment in time it is entirely probabilistic. I may be really annoyed with my wife, but like, you know, to know down to the second that this is the moment I'm going to stab her, <laughs> it's just, it, it, it defies expectation. The second problem comes in the human element and the, and the interpretation of the evidence. The scene, Tom Cruise shoots the guy, but, and everyone says it happened exactly as it was supposed to in the prediction. But it doesn't happen exactly as it was supposed to in the prediction. There were two major problems that were very different from the reality and what the prediction was. The first is the time was wrong. And the second is Tom Cruise didn't pull the trigger. They have looked similar, but that's like a big difference. And that's where it leads us to the problems with like due process. But like, so the only difference here we're talking about, though, is that these predictions were not made by a computer, though. These predictions were made by humans, but you can easily take these humans and swap them out for some sort of AI machine learning, something like that. Because, I mean, really, I mean, that's exactly right. We're, the, we're, we are not far from being able to do with AI what these people who li- lie in goo all day do. Right. And, and the one thing I the first lesson I instill as a data scientist and like that I learned and then I teach all of my fellow data scientists on my team is if you think the answer is 100% right, then you can be sure you're 100% wrong. <laughs> Probability does not work that way. 
<laughs> no. Because <laughs> you can't be 100% wrong. I can promise you there are models out there where you get everything wrong. You just are never going to get everything right. Those are the ones I tend to write. But then again, I'm an engineer, not, not a data scientist. I, I hope your models are 100, 100% right. <laughs> well, it's just that, that is totally uh, different. I mean, yeah, you're yeah. looking at just 100% clean data is something that you can have. It's takes a lot yeah. of work and it's very very hard but so in this in this case though, in the area of prediction there's yeah. just too many things which which make the the future inherently uncertain yeah and i think i think one of the one of the key things i know we talked about this but i don't think we've talked about it on a podcast is this concept of a machine learning model that was put into production by the department of justice in the u.s to predict recidivism and right. and some of the underlying issues that were there so i mean it's not necessarily the prediction model but it does predict but mm-hmm. it's full of so many problems with this model. Right. And, and, but the real problem is that you don't, I mean, in this context, the real problem isn't the historical data, the historical biases in the data, which are bad. Don't get me wrong. The real problem in this context is you don't know what's going to happen to an individual inmate after they're released. You don't know which ones are going to get a job, which ones are going to get support, who's going to get lucky, who's going to be unlucky, you know, who's going to have a family member that gets sick? You don't know any of these things. And you really can't know 100% of the perfect information to be able to predict which ones will actually recidivate. So when we talk about how it gets applied in society with due process, then, um, why do we keep trying to use these machine learning models if we, if, why are we still trying to pursue this perfect information with imperfect data? Well, I mean, that, that, this is an especially troubling case because now, like, there's no trials here, but yet there's a criminal conviction. And, like, like that's something in the movies that's really problematic, that we're here at this point where, like, you know, these police, they come in, they invade your home. You haven't actually committed a crime yet. You may want to commit a crime, but you mm-hmm. haven't done it yet. And yet you're already guilty. And, like, this is an extreme case of what's going to become... It, it, there's a great scene with Cary Grant in North by Northwest. And it's the scene in the New York ambassador, you know, he's at the United Nations. He's meeting the ambassador to the United Nations who he thinks is the guy who kidnapped him, but he isn't. And the guy gets stabbed and he falls into Cary Grant's arms and Cary Grant instinctually grabs the dagger and pulls it out of his hand at the moment that a newspaper reporter pulls, p- photographs him holding up the bloody knife. And, and this happened every time, this problem occurs every time there's a new advent of technology. So mm-hmm. the idea is like when they invented fingerprints, if they found your fingerprints at the scene, they assumed you were guilty. Oh, yes. Right. You know, and they, they had other, then they did DNA and DNA became the only thing. Like, like it became oh, yeah. dominant over all other factors. If your DNA was found in the wrong space, you were guilty. And, and, and every time we have a technological thing, and I think right now the next one is going to be facial recognition software, mm-hmm. which, you know, oh, well, we matched your face, so you must have been there. You must have done it. And, and that's the problem that this movie gets into, other than the very gonzo one, which I love, which I'm going to take a pause <laughs> if you don't mind. May I? All right, all right. There's a wonderful due process problem in this movie, which is that if the, the pre-crime police come running in your door the best thing to do is go through with the murder as quickly as you can. <laughs> they have no jurisdiction after you kill the guy. Holy crap. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. 
dude, dude, just like there's got to be there's got to be something on the books you'd imagine in this universe. I mean, man, but they can't arrest you, and and you get a trial. See, like, well, citizens arrest. I imagine. I don't know. No, no, no. Like, okay, so like the police will come in and arrest you, but the difference is if you don't kill them, you don't get a trial, and you get stuck in a freezer. So you may as if well have you killed kill them. <laughs> then you at least get a trial, and you can maintain <laughs> that you had a defense. Uh. I never thought of that. So we're talking about using almost like uh, it's almost a different uh, conversation, but it's like the perverse incentive uh, that can yes. that can happen. So it's almost right. like you may as well commit murder in that case. Oh man, because I was thinking and, and this is a real problem. So like this is yeah. a real problem with machine learning AI models that you really want to be very careful with. You can create inadvertent perverse incentives. Yeah, like it, so you don't have to go far to you don't have to go far to see it. You know or. Um, or you know where the so you know where the speed cameras are so you're gonna speed where the speed cameras are because you know where the speed cameras are it's like <laughs> you wouldn't normally yeah, and, spend and, and otherwise. you can actually make your life very worse if you have a predictable algorithm like that says if you do this and then you don't do this but like if you have some bad algorithm in place that somebody can game then then you're you're likely to have a really nasty case of preserve reverse a really nasty case of perverse um, incentivization. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. There's so many different themes around that, but I think we're kind of getting to the point in our podcast where it is time for the Turing score. All right, folks. Yeah. yeah, okay. So this is how it works. Uh, I'm going to say what I liked about the movie, didn't like about it. Matthew's going to say what he liked and didn't like about it when it comes to realism in data as we understand it today. This is a completely arbitrary system. I give five Turing out of five Turing's Matthew gives out of five Turing's and we see where we go. So I'm going to start things off. So in the plus side, I absolutely love this idea of data modeling. I love sort of the technology. I love the, uh, I love the use of ubiquitous facial recognition and well, not love it, but you know, I, I like, I like how this sort of applies and where we can say, okay, aha, uh-huh, I can see the evolution of where our data is today to this very, very scary world. What I didn't like just certain things like, I don't know, do we really need Lexuses driving up the sides of buildings? I don't think we needed that. The spider drones are cool, but honestly they seem a little, I don't know, just like, just use facial recognition. Just use, just use flying drones. They're, they're more efficient. So they're going to knock something off. I give this movie four out of five turns. Right. So I really like the spider robots and the unauthorized retinal scans and the and mass surveillance of citizens. Very realistic. I also love the beautiful complex data models being interpreted by mild manneredly, mildly incompetent <laughs> human beings. Those were the pluses. On the negative side, I, I, I found the whole idea of perfect information and pre-crime and, and other problems just utterly preposterous. And I think there are much better, more realistic shows out there which show what people are going to use in terms of data science and um, anti-crime plans. So I, I give this movie a two out of five. Two out of five? That low? I don't think we've ever had to yeah. spread this this far. No, um, I think you and I really disagree on this one. I, I just, there are other shows which really get into things like Omnisente, Person of Interest, which I think do a really credible job of really describing what society is going to actually do with this technology. And I think this movie, wow, evocative, misses the mark. All right. Well, you've heard it here, folks. Uh, I gave it I gave it four. Matthew gave it two. So that's a total of six out of ten Turing's. Not it's it's like Chernobyl. Not great. Not terrible. Okay. That's right. (laughs) 
And that's all the time we have today, folks, for this episode of Kill All Humans. So I just want to thank our listeners. Just remember, you can keep listening to us on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google, Pandora, really wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, subscribe, share. We're trying to grow our audience. Uh, We really appreciate anything you can do for us. Anyway, uh, for Kill All Humans, remember to bank on the utter infallibility of humanity. <laughs> My, uh, this is Tim. And Matthew. We'll see you next time. That might go as well as I thought it was going. <laughs> you can always bank on the utter infallibility of humanity. <laughs> yeah. Man, we didn't even get into the whole creepy, like the whole psychic voodoo kind of like. I, I, I probably should have dropped it a half turning score. The fact they had to rely on psychics, but actually, yeah, no, the psychics definitely. I, I think a whole point on the psychics, honestly. Didn't I, even get into that. I mean, yeah. like I'm just assuming the psychics. Time frame? 13 minutes. Hey, Chief. Investigator from the feds here. Yeah, I don't need some twink from the fed poking around right now. John, I wrote it down on your calendar. I left you a message at your house. Check in with the papers ahead of Ford and see if the neighbors knew where they went. Check all relations. Checking neighbors and relations. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or dog house in that area.